Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net. Have you ever wondered, what am I doing with my life? When you're up to your neck in tiresome emails with your boss breathing down your neck. I once heard the description of a seagull manager. A seagull manager is absent a lot of the time, flies in, makes a lot of noise, poops on everyone, and then leaves. <laughs> then you wonder, what am I doing with my life? When you're knee-deep in piles of laundry and stacks of washing up, and there's always one more nappy to change and one more meal to plan, what am I doing with my life? When your brain is exploding with the demands of academic study and you have read a single page 12 times and none of it has gone in yet and you're thinking, this is a lot harder than A-levels. Some of your students are going to experience this soon. You're thinking, what am I doing? What on earth am I doing? What, What on earth are you doing? And does what you're doing have any real value? Have you ever wished you could retire and then realised you're only 30? (laughs) Ever seen a picture of a tropical island with a beach hut built on stilts going out over an azure sea next to a sun-kissed white beach and entertained this dubious fantasy? If only I lived there and had nothing to do, then I'd be happy. Have you ever thought, I'd quite like to be hospitalised? <laughs> Nothing too painful, but I'd have no responsibilities and lots of attention. Anyone else ever thought that? <laughs> yes, thank you, Seb. What on earth are you doing? Now, you know, we have the desire for our lives to count, to actually to matter and to be doing something. We have the desire for a cause or a purpose. We want something bigger than ourselves and something greater than just a pay packet. Now, in the ancient world, the ideal for many cultures was just leisure. Leisure, to be doing as little as possible, served by other people. The ancient Near East had myths of gods who made the world so that they could relax, and human beings were made as slaves to bring them their food and drinks. The Greeks and the Romans were similar to this. They believed that if you had money, why would you go to university or medical school or try and run a business? If you had money, buy a slave, get them to do it for you. Send your slave to medical school. Then he can be your doctor. Send your slave to management class and then he can run the the estate. Your goal is leisure. But the Bible has a very different view of human human beings' purpose and what we're supposed to be doing on earth. Even though it was written in the same time as those other cultures, the Bible is very different. Now, the reason why this is important is that how we view our work, what we do, whatever it is, is going to be determined by our worldview. Your worldview is your foundational beliefs. Your beliefs about God, about this world, about humanity, and about yourself. That's your world view. We all have one. They're like the great tectonic plates that are underneath the 
visible landscape and they shape it. But the worldview, like those tectonic plates, is usually not on display. And movements in your worldview can feel like an earthquake. Or to use another picture, we're like great trees that have put down deep roots and our behavior and our choices and the way we live are all rooted deep down in our worldview. And that includes our work, how we view it. Now, the early chapters of Genesis give us the keys to living well. They give us the keys to be rooted in God's reality. And that's why we're digging into these foundations for this term on Sunday mornings. And we're just going to go for the early chapters, by the way. I'm not promising a series on the whole of Genesis. Because Genesis gives us the foundations. How we understand God. His greatness, his grandeur, his his beauty, his loving creation. How we understand ourselves, where we find the, business, the, the basis to, be, to, to believe in dignity, to believe in compassion, to believe in equality. How we understand marriage, sexuality. And today, how we understand work. And when I say work today, just, just, just hear this for a moment. When I say work, I mean all meaningful and purposeful activity. All kinds of meaningful and purposeful activity. That can include studying, can include bringing up children, can include using your retirement years productively. Those are all, I'm going to call that all work. So when I'm saying work this morning, I'm not just talking about a job that pays a salary, okay, but meaningful activity. And this is so important for us to think through because there are two trends in our culture that are opposite, but they're both, they both have something right in them, but they're both actually unbalanced. The first is work as a curse. Work is a curse. Now, in this view, a lot of people think you only work because you have to. Why else would you do it? The only reason for work is to make money so that you can enjoy real life, leisure. So the real goal of life is leisure. Now, in this view, the ultimate good is to win the lottery so that you never have to work again. Now, it's worth asking a few lottery winners how that worked out for them a few years later. But that's one view. Work is a curse. Now, the opposite view, actually, is work as an idol. Work as an idol, the, the ultimate thing. In this view, the only way I'm going to be fulfilled as a person is through work. Therefore, I give it everything. I pour everything into it, and I sacrifice everything on that altar. Marriage, children, health. Work as an idol, or work as a curse. How should we view our activity, our work? Now, the Bible gives us a third way. And here's how we should view our work, and it's already come up on the screen. We were made to rule, fill, and work the earth. All work can bring glory to God. So, let's dignify our labor with care, creativity, and competence. That's the whole of the sermon today is there in those, that paragraph. Uh, we're made to rule, fill, and work the earth. So all work can bring glory to God. So, let's dignify our labor. Two main points then today. The calling of work and the character of work. The calling of work. First two chapters of Genesis show us what human life should be like. This is life before Genesis chapter 3, where we're going to read about a cosmic treason. Human beings turn their back on their loving creator and decide to try and run things their own way. It's sometimes called the fall 
or the decreation. But this is back before then. This is Genesis 1 and 2 when things are pristine, when human life is as it should be, before things go wrong. And it involves, here's the crucial thing here, it involves work. Even before things go wrong, humans are set on the world to work, to be busy, to be doing meaningful things. This is so significant. When the world was all that it should be, what were humans doing? They were doing. I've got to think with you about a few verbs. Rule, fill and subdue, work and take care. Firstly, rule. Have, have a look with me at verse chapter 1 again, verse 26. We'll read it here. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Rule. Now, a couple of weeks ago I mentioned that some scholars have seen a kind of framework in Genesis chapter 1. They noticed that the, the days in the creation week correspond to each other. So on day one, the light and the darkness are created. And then on day four, there's the sun and moon created to rule over the light and the darkness. Then on day two, you have the creation, the separation of water and sky. And on day five, you have creatures that rule over the water in the sky. Water creatures, fish and sea creatures and birds. Then on day three, you have the creation of the land. And what do we see on day six? The creation of creatures that rule the land. Land creatures, animals, livestock, cattle, wild animals and preeminently human beings. So when humanity is created on day six, they are given the rule over all of creation. Not just over the land and the creatures in it, but they're crowned under God to rule his world. So to rule over the creation is to reflect God's rule. To be like him, his good, wise, and loving governance. So what does that mean about our relationship to the created world? As nations, as individuals. It means that we are not to exploit it, but to take care of it, to steward it well, to develop it. To govern it for its good and for ours. This is work, ruling like this, holding sway. It carries great privilege and with that great responsibility. So that's the first verb is rule. Now look with me at verse 28, please. God blessed them, the first humans, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So here we have command to fill to be fruitful, and to subdue the earth. Humans are to fill the earth. Why fill it? Because on their own, Adam and Eve can't do the job. They're just there in the Garden of Eden, wondering what's there in that other postcode. But God says, no, I want you to procreate. I want you to fill this world and take my image, which you're bearing, into every corner of the earth. God is pro-life. To be rooted in God's reality means to have a positive view of human beings, to have a positive view of population growth. It's important to say this in, in our day and age. God loves people, and they bear his image, and he wants to see a lot of them. 
Now, that runs counter to some expressions of environmentalism in which you occasionally get the impression that if only all the humans would just die and go away, the world would be a better place. But that is to elevate the creation above the image bearers. Yes, we've got to rule well, but God calls us to fill the earth well too. And human beings filling the earth means something a bit more than just filling the earth like having lots of plants or lots of animals. It implies more than just more humans. God cares about the development of civilization, of human society. Humans are given multiplication as a task to carry out and to develop culture, civilization throughout the earth. Now, I think this is important for us to hear, especially those of us here from Western cultures, because our culture has a strange relationship to children. A bit like work. Children are seen as either a curse, it's laughing, or an idol. Children as curse. Oh dear, you're having a baby. Why would you do that to yourself? Don't you realize it's going to impact your life? You might not actually be able to afford all the things that you currently spend money on. You might actually lose some sleep. You might have to think about someone other than yourself. Why would you want to do that? Now, in this view, children as curse, of course, big families are an embarrassment. I found this quite a lot when I was telling people we were going to have a fifth child. It's quite interesting, some of the reactions. But, but one thing that stood out to me was a Roman Catholic friend who heard that Melissa was expecting our fifth child, and he was a man who didn't have any children himself, and he, his face lit up, and he said, How wonderful! You are affirming that life is precious. Thank you, Bill. He's the only one that said it. <laughs> he was right. Children are precious and worth giving yourself for. Now, that's one view, children as curse, but then we've got children as idols. Children as idols comes out of a sentimental view of children. In this view, the child is a kind of minor deity whose needs dictate to everyone around. Whatever the child wants, he or she must have. The child must have its way. Do you want to come into our bed every night for the first five years of your life? Please, go ahead. <laughs> and if you want to wet the bed, be our guest. We exist to serve your needs. Now, that can lead to children who are unbearable and exhausted parents who are privately very resentful. Yes, children must be loved and affirmed and cherished. But good and wise rule of the world must include setting boundaries for children and bringing them up to know God. If we're going to fill the earth with God's image, children have got to be trained how to live godly lives, to serve other people, and to learn early on that they can serve others, not everyone exists to serve them. Now that's filling the earth. thought a bit about that and about children. What about subduing? Fill and subdue the world. Some people have argued that that implies there's kind of hostility here, that we've got to, uh, that it sort of licenses exploitation of the world. But remember, we're still in chapter two. The world is still a place of order and peace, beauty. So what needs to be subdued? The answer is that at this point, the world is still not a finished project. It needs work. And in that sense, it's just like the very beginning of chapter 1. We read it a couple of weeks ago. God makes 
begin, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Even at the very beginning of creation, God makes something that needs work. It's full of potential, but it needs effort. And now God tells us in chapter 2, follow me and do the same kind of things that I've been doing. Filling the world, subduing the world, bringing out all of its wonderful potential. So rule, fill and subdue, and then thirdly, work and take care. We're going to look now into chapter 2. Have a look with me in chapter 2 at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Work it and take care of the garden. Now the second chapter of Genesis retells the creation story from another angle. You may have seen those sports programs where they're showing a great moment, maybe a great goal that's been scored or a wonderful athletic achievement. And then the, the pundit says, let's see that again from another angle. And they show you a different camera view. This is what's happening in chapter 2 of Genesis. In the ancient world, it was considered very good style in literature to tell the same thing twice, but the second time to do it in a completely different way. And that's what's happening here. Chapter 1 is the wide-angle lens, you know, that view of everything. And chapter 2 is the zoom lens. We zoom right in and we see God taking dust and making humanity from it. So chapter 2 is showing us what we're supposed to be doing. And here we have God putting human beings in a garden that he's created and set up. And they have a job to do, to work it, to be gardeners, and to take care of it or, or protect it. Now, these two verbs, working and taking care or protecting, are actually used of priests in the Old Testament in other places. The priest's job was to look after the temple, and to make sure that nothing unclean could enter into it, to protect it. You see, there's great dignity being given here to human beings. Great dignity and a job of work to do. And there's a hint of danger. Failing to live under God's world is, is going to bring death. There's the calling of work. The call to rule the world. The call to fill it and subdue it, bring out its potential. The call to work hard, get your fingers dirty, and protect the goodness. That's the calling of work. What about its character? What about its character? How should we go about our work and our activity? What are the implications of all this for the way you live on Monday morning, Wednesday night, Friday afternoon? We're made to rule, fill, and work the earth. All work can bring glory to God. So let's dignify our labor, three points, with care, creativity, and competence. Care. You see, if we're rooted in God's reality, then our approach to our work will be careful. We will see it as an opportunity to serve God and serve other people who he's made, not just to build our own reputation or to feather our nests. Just think for a moment about the things you spend most of your time doing in the week to come. How can you do them in such a way that it serves other people? Let's work with care. Secondly, creativity. You'll have noticed when Rupert was reading that God gives the first human being a job to do. He has to name 
the creatures. It's verse 19 of chapter 2. The Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. What is going on here? Has God somehow run out of ideas? You know, I've done my six days, I'm on my tea break now. No, God now is handing on responsibility to human beings. Adam is the first scientist. He is studying the animals, the creatures, and classifying them. He's naming them. We shouldn't think of this as being like pet names. I think I'll call that lion George. There's some kind of study going on, discerning the differences between the species and the creatures and giving them descriptions. Even calling something a beast or a bird is acknowledging some initial distinctions. Now, this is significant. Adam is starting to take control in God's world. He's exercising authority. In the ancient world, if you named somebody, you actually had some claim on them. You had some kind of authority over them. Adam is stepping up to his role by naming the animals. He's starting to manage the creation, and he's doing so out of his own skills and his own mind and his own creativity. Think about what you're going to spend most of your time doing in the week ahead. How can you do it creatively? How can you do it creatively? And thirdly and finally, competence. How should we carry out our work? Most of us feel insecure about our work, don't we? We all can think of somebody who does the same things we do better. Most of us feel like we're B minus or worse than that. We're not all going to be outstanding. We're not all a genius. We're not all going to get first class honors. But we should all strive to be competent in the area of work that God has given us. Notice how God does his work. When he's finished, he can stand back and say, that is very good. Can you say that about what you do? Whatever it is, are you doing it to the best of your ability and trying to get better at it? The writer Dorothy Sayers once said, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sunday. What the church should be telling him is this. The very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Think about what you spend most of your time doing. Whether it's studying, bringing up children or working a job. How can you do it competently? How can you do it competently? If you're a, a business person here, how can you do your work, you deal with your colleagues, your clients develop the business in such a way that it, it, it brings glory to God. One way you can actually help yourself to do this is by getting involved in ministry to business. It's an initiative in the city centre, and in, on, not this Wednesday but the one after, will be a first meeting of a new initiative called Endeavour Central for people who work, most of them in town, to get together and think creatively about how they can use their work to glorify God. And if you want to know more about that, uh, speak to Pete Horlock after. Pete, give everybody a wave. He's right there at the back. Ask Pete and you can learn about ministry to business. We've got a number of people here who work in medicine. 
nurses, doctors, uh, people who, who serve the sick. How can you do your work competently and well? Because, not because you're afraid of getting sued or because you, you just want people to like you, but because God is watching you and because your work in healing people brings glory to him. Those of you who, who, who are involved in research or study, you students, how can you use your learning, your work, to bring glory to God? Those of you who bring up children, you're raising up image bearers. You're raising up the future. How can you do your work in such a way that it brings glory to God competently? You retired people or approaching retirement, you now have all those years of experience behind you and the time you now have will be yours. Maybe you'll be freer to do with it what you will than you have been for a very long time. How are you going to use it to bring glory to God with care, creativity and competence? We've got so much opportunity in the world that God has given us. Let's use our time on earth well. I'm going to finish by giving you an example of somebody who was competent and a Christian. Uh, this is from a book called Every Good Endeavor. On February the 24th, 1989, United Airlines Flight 811 took off from Honolulu on its way to New Zealand. The plane had climbed to 22,000 feet when the forward cargo door of the jet blew open, tearing a massive hole in the side of the plane. Nine passengers were immediately sucked out of the plane to their deaths. The two right engines were damaged by the flying debris and taken out of commission. The plane was 100 miles from land. The captain, David Cronin, brought all of his wisdom and 38 years of flying to bear. To compensate for the lack of thrust from the two right engines, he struggled to hold the control column steady with his hands while using his feet to put pressure on the rudder to stabilize the plane. His biggest problem, however, was deciding how fast to fly. He slowed the plane down as close to stalling as he could to keep the air rushing over the plane from blowing the hole in the fuselage even wider. Because the hole had changed the aerodynamics of the plane, the usual data regarding speed was no longer relevant. The pilot knew this. He had to use his best judgment and... Since the plane had just taken on 300,000 pounds of fuel for a long flight, it was too heavy to land without collapsing the landing gear. Then he encountered a new problem. The wing flaps that are supposed to slow the plane down were not working. He would have to land the plane at 195 miles per hour compared to the normal speed of 170 miles per hour. The jet weighed 610,000 pounds, well above Boeing's recommended maximum stress load. Nevertheless, Captain Cronin made one of the smoothest landings the rest of the crew could remember, amid the cheers of the passengers. Airline experts called the landing miraculous. A few days after the harrowing experience, an interviewer asked Captain Cronin about his first thoughts following the loss of the cargo door. This is what he said. I said a prayer for my passengers momentarily and then got back to business. He was a Christian. One commentator said this, If people can't find any spiritual meaning in their work, they're condemned to living a double life, not connecting what they do on Sunday morning with what they do the rest of the week. They need to discover that the very actions of daily life are spiritual and enable people to touch God in the world, not 
away from it. We were made to rule, fill, and work the earth. All work activity can bring glory to God. So let's dignify our labor this week with care, creativity, and competence. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us as a worker. You made things, you developed them, and then you rested and actively enjoyed what you had made. And we thank you that you've made us to bear your image in this world. You've given us this enormous privilege of being uh, image bearers who act like you in the world that you've made. Not many of us here are great, not many of us here are rich, not many of us here are powerful, but we all have a part to play. So please inspire us this week to live to your glory and to do our work with glad spirit, knowing that you love it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net. Thank you.